The Litro Lab Podcast. After my father killed himself in an unconfirmed suicide, my mother claimed the life insurance and moved us into one of those streets that served as the council estates of the middle classes. Each house is large, white, and identical as the last. I was 14 and bored shitless. But, in an attempt to alleviate the boredom, I'd taken to mildly terrorising the neighbours, developing a series of ritualistic habits designed to irritate rather than traumatise. Each morning, I'd move the gnome from number 45, steal the milk from number 50, and place a daily paper in the middle of number 48's birdbath. Each evening, I'd flash my bra at Miss Jenkins in number 52, place an empty can on the parked car outside number 46, and drop three empty crisp packets outside number 54. They all knew I was responsible, but had the good grace to avoid telling my mother. The days normally passed without event. Occasionally, I'd hang out of the window and watch number 48 retrieve their sodden paper from the claws of a thirsty sparrow, while number 46 carefully removed the can, crush it, and place it in the appropriate recycling bag. Once in a while, they'd spot me watching and wag a finger in my general direction, but that was as exciting as it got. Then one Tuesday, while returning home from flashing Miss Jenkins, I noticed number 54 sitting outside in her car. She was early. I hadn't even had time to drop the crisp packets. I watched for a bit and was about to leave when the door opened, followed by a rush of projectile vomit. She stepped out, swaying slightly before hitting the ground. I buttoned my shirt, trying to make a plan. Reasoning that if I left now, no one would be any the wiser, but then I'd probably go to hell. I was still undecided when she sat up, ridding me of plan A. I helped her inside and into a chair and was about to leave when, for some reason, I couldn't. Maybe I should stay, you know, just for a bit. Just in case, because you banged your head and sometimes that means you get a concussion. And then if you do have a concussion and you don't know you have a concussion and you fall asleep, then, well, that's not great. Sometimes you can die. I should stay. She agreed, so I stayed. She was a psychiatrist, I knew this already. My Aunt June had seen her interviewed in the Times, listed as one, if not the best psychiatrist in the country. Try as she might, even my mother could not deny this was impressive. She told me she had cancer, and then laughed that I was the first person she told. I suggested that maybe she tell someone else, though, cautious that her admission may lead to me having to clean up the sick outside. She waved me off. Go home, she said. I'll be fine. I'm always fine. Fine is what I do. I should have gone, but I waited, and when I finally did leave, I asked to come back. She was surprised, but agreed. There was no one else around. I was intrigued. I'd never seen anything die before, except a fly, and they don't really do much. Just buzz around and then stop. Our cat died and our goldfish, but I never saw it. Dad took them to the animal graveyard, roughly translated as a cardboard box out in the back garden for the cat, and a trip down the toilet for the goldfish. I started visiting on the way home from school. I'd pretty much given up my morning rituals, along with the can and the crisp packets, but, you know, I couldn't resist continuing to flash Miss Jenkins. Although, gradually even that came to an end. Mum worked in the day and usually had church activities in the evening, so I was free to do as I pleased. I thought she should go to hospital. They give you more drugs if you move there. My nan did that, gave her six extra months, but she said it wasn't for her. Later they gave her a nurse, a girl who came twice a day, once in the morning and once at night. The girl was okay, boring and quite fat, but she wasn't nasty or anything. She hated it, though. 
Say I don't want to die with some stranger. I'd rather die alone than have to pay someone for their pity, but I don't think that was true. No one wants to die alone. Except maybe gerbils or cats. She wasn't great. Not really. But then I'm never really sure if anyone ever is. She didn't change the world, broker a peace deal, save lives or even feed the hungry. She didn't paint a masterpiece or publish some groundbreaking academic thesis on the secret lives of lunatics. She wanted to, but she didn't. She was just normal, I suppose. But she was dying, and she did answer my questions, so I stuck around. We didn't really do emotion. She didn't really do emotion as a rule. Die on the inside, smile on the outside. But we talked. We talked a lot. Well, she talked, I just asked the questions. No one really ever answered my questions before. She was posh. Well, maybe not posh. Americans can't really be posh, can they? Although she wasn't really American. I mean, she was, but she wasn't, if you know what I mean. She was born there, upstate New York, to two high-flying academics. She was privileged, but hell, someone had to be, she say. She moved to England at the age of seven to attend some boarding school. The same school her family had attended for generations. The expectations were high, the praise scant. Through time she flourished, overachieved, did what was expected, but then her parents died and suddenly there was no one expecting any longer. She had lectured in some fancy schools in the States, but had always felt like a goldfish swimming in a carp pond, so ended up here. I suppose she thought that meadow fields would be more idyllic, her chance to do good surrounded by the rolling English countryside. It was no more surrounded by the rolling English countryside than it was her chance to do anything. Truth was, she was as much of an outsider in meadow fields as in any of those schools. Only difference was, this time she was the carp swimming in the goldfish bowl. I suppose she was lonely, but isn't everyone, she'd say. She didn't really like to be touched. She liked to know you were there, but she'd sort of flinch when you touched her. But then when she did hug you, she'd sort of cling to you in an uncomfortable sort of way. A bit like a baby monkey. Desperate. There wasn't really much middle ground. It was all or nothing. I suppose it was better with the nothing. Six months later, she was dead. I held a pillow over her head. It wasn't murder or anything like that. She asked me to do it. And just like that, she was gone. My first real dead thing. Only this time, there was no dad to take it to the animal graveyard. So I left. I think number 46 were a little relieved to find the can back on the car roof. Miss Jenkins had certainly missed discussing the various colours of my underwear, and, well, I always expected that, so long as it wasn't raining, Mr. Josephs and 48 has always appreciated the extra few minutes alone to be gained while scooping out the newspaper. Subscribe to Literal Lab Podcast on Spotify.